Are we all? All right. Well, all three of us are rolling. Fifth Beetle, March Madness 2022. Slate, take one. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles podcast. Ah, oh, spring is here, TJ. It's March. I'm loving all the blooming going on, all the, the blooming onions. Have you had your March blooming onion yet? We are at Outback Steakhouse every Tuesday night for Bloomin' Onion Tuesdays. It's something we created in our family to honor the Bloomin' Onion. You know, Chicago is is Native American for Bloomin' Onion. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. <laughs> Didn't know that. Yep. Carl Sandberg told me. <laughs> Well, uh, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. My name is Tony Mendoza. And this week I'm TJ Shanoff, and it's great to be with you, Tony. Yeah, man. Do you have March Madness? March Madness is in full swing right now. All, everyone's betting. It's a whole thing. So many. Remember a couple years ago when 64 teams wasn't enough? They had two other play-in games, I think. Yeah. Uh, I am, in fair, full disclosure, way more of a pro basketball guy than a college. I think some of that's just growing up in the city. With all due sure. respect to Northwestern's uh, men's hoops, DePaul was really good when I was growing up. Um, Loyola, less so. Northwestern has always been. Speaking of Northwestern, shall we bring in our esteemed Northwestern alum, producer Casey's with us today? Oh, hey there! I yeah, thanks for bringing me in so you can dunk on my shitty college basketball. Team. Someone's got to dunk if we're talking Northwestern, and it's not just when they play Michigan State. Um, no, it, it is true. Like I am, you know, growing up like you, Tony, in the age of Michael Jordan, I was way more of a pro basketball guy. The tournament is fun. Uh, I love upsets. Those five, 12 seeds. You always take the 12 when you're filling out your brackets, but I know I'm not paying much attention if that's what you're asking. Yeah, I was. Cause I too am not at, at all really into the NCAA basketball or anything like that. But actually I do remember when the Tar Heels won, and I want to say was that was Jordan, right? Back in 82 or 3, whenever that was. 82, I think, yeah, when Jordan won the national championship. Yeah, I was very that briefly. Jump shot. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, We I had a Nerf uh, basketball hoop in my uh, little bedroom in our apartment, and I replayed that moment often from jumping from my bed all the way and dunking it. That's not what he did, but there was no bed there, but... <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like Elvis's Why last didn't night. Jordan dunk over a bed. <laughs> wait, wait. I mean, I wasn't alive for the '82 championships. All right. Ooh. Run me through this again. Oh. So Jordan had a bed on the basketball court and he dunked <laughs> off it. Is that how it works? <laughs> how it was in the '80s, millennial. <laughs> You know, we're talking a lot of 80s stuff. Let's talk Casey stuff. What's a millennial want to talk about? The the Romeo and Juliet remake. Oh, my God. The Boz Lerman. That soundtrack. Oh, my God. I love yeah. that cardigans, too. I saw that in the theater like six times with my girlfriend in eighth grade. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, Good for I you. think my first French kiss might have been after a screening of Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. So Good for you. you. Yeah, thanks. Now, wasn't that Claire Danes or something? Or what? Am I mixing that all really? up? Really? No, yeah. Claire Danes, Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, okay. Only a millennial can call him Leo. 
<laughs> we call him Leo. He's the patron saint of our generation. <laughs> I do love I that movie popped in my mind because that Cardigan song, the uh, uh, Love Fool by the Cardigans, yeah. I think is my favorite song of the decade of the 1990s. I wow. really do. I love wow. it. We should do that bracket, your favorite. Nine, maybe your favorite 90s one-hit wonder specific. That's what it is, because the yeah. Ben Folds catalog of the 90s probably my favorite. But yeah. as, a, as a single, I love that tune. Yeah. Good tune. And every record they did, they covered a Black Sabbath song. The Cardigans? Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think they did wow. Sunday, uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. <laughs> I almost said Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Different group, different song. <laughs> yeah. John and Yoko and you two. <laughs> and you two, yeah. Well, clearly, we have March Madness. So we thought today on the Untitled Beatles podcast, the three of us were going to get together and we were going to make a, a Beatle bracket for the title of 2022 Fifth Beatle. Oh, yeah. It's the only way you can do it. We have to get a definitive answer. You guys did your NME rankings of all the catalogs that we now have. I'm sure that will change year over year, but we it have the definitive <laughs> ranking. How are you going to narrow down that fifth beetle? It's so controversial. You got to put them head to head. You got to seat them one to 32 and make them duke it out. It's true. We've got 32. Oh, does that mean Duke's going to win? Fuck. Oh. I don't win Coach K's last year. I'm tired of Duke. And I'm, fuck you, Grayson Allen. You too, Christian Leitner. I like Brent Hill. Otherwise, can we all agree? Fuck Dukies. We can. I guess. I, I don't follow. But yeah, sure. Yes. A lemming, a lemming off that. Trust us, Tony. The Duke was having problems with a message at the local baby. Well, I do have some March Madness little factoids to share with y'all if you don't Ooh, if you don't mind please march madness the term was coined by brent musburger back in 1982 there was an auto dealer in chicago when i worked locally at bbm and he called the state high school tournament in illinois march madness okay a lawsuit broke out <laughs> uh the ncaa went to copyright it and i said listen you don't want me to testify because you guys need to make a settlement uh, I took that from the State High School Association, and they did. The NCAA made a settlement with the State High School Association in Illinois, and now March Madness uh, definitely belongs to the uh, to the college guys. Remember him? Sure. He's still alive, right? Or is Brent Musburger dead? I think he's alive. No, he's still he's around. alive? I think he's he works on that Vegas Sports Network yes, that the a lot BSN. of like, Chicago folks have gone over to work on. Yeah. Oh. The new sports radio is the gambling network. It's true. This is VSIN, the sports betting network. No bottom seed has ever unseated a top seed in the first round. So I wonder, wonder if that'll happen uh, here on the UBP today. I wonder. That can't be true. Is that I, true? I read it, and it, the article was dated January of 2022. I thought that happened recently, but I could be hallucinating. Well, buzz me if I'm wrong. Stop! Correction. Just to clarify, I am no college basketball expert, but my quick Google does say that in 2018, the for the first time ever, UMBC became the first 16 seed to upset a one seed. Okay. <laughs> What's UMBC? U University of Maryland. United Methodist uh, Bethlehem uh, Christians. That's them. <laughs> they beat Virginia. They became an overnight sensation, says the oh. NCAA. So 
It's a real Cinderella story, they say. I don't want to spoil the seeding, but I think in our first Beatles bracket, there's a chance the one seed could go down in the first round. I think I know what you're I know what you're getting at, Casey, and I, I can't three wait. Three chances, Casey. Three chances. <laughs> <laughs> See how drunk I get as we keep recording. Had a drink or two and I don't care. Okay, a couple more facts. If games were 50-50 proposition, the chances of a bracket being perfect are one in nine point two quintillion. Whoa. Yeah. That's why I think like every year there's never a person who gets the entire bracket right. Right. Is that, am I making that up? I don't know anything about sports. Barb from accounting does pretty well. Yeah. Every year. Well, that's because her last name is Quintillion. It's all, everything's <laughs> rigged, man. You know what's unfortunate is Barb wears that big Q t-shirt. <laughs> that's what the Q oh, stands family for. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, we got the inside scoop. Without a cue, I had lost you. As if I never knew your name. Uh, lastly, employers have also noticed a change in the behavior of employees during this time. They've seen an increase in the number of sick days used, extended lunch breaks, and even the rescheduling of conference calls to allow for more tournament watching. There you go. I buy that. Why are you reading like a drama teacher? <laughs> it's a schedule. <laughs> Went to the CBS School of Broadcasting, TJ. This is CBS. CBS? <laughs> CBS. Yeah, I have, to, I have to read out those long receipts. <laughs> it takes me an hour, man. <laughs> now, at the end of our Beatle March Madness, whoever wins and is crowned, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Fifth Beatle will have a, a bronzed... Kaiser Keller toilet seat placed around their neck. That's right. To be paraded around the neighborhood. Honoring John. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So March Madness. So should we talk about the brackets? We've got 32 fifth Beatles in competition for role of 2022 fifth Beatle. That's right. And for folks who, uh, if you haven't already filled out your own bracket, pause the podcast now, go to our website and or our Facebook page, you'll be able to download the bracket. Um, you can see all 32 Fifth Beatle candidates in order and paired up, and you can fill out your own. You have a one in, I think it's not a quintillion. I think it's like one in two trillion chance of getting this one correct. Whoa. What do we give one of our fan winners if they get it, it right? We, I, think, uh, uh, I think we're going to have an FNT of that Kaiser Keller toilet seat. Yes. I think you meant an NFT. No, it's a fucking non-tangible token, man. (laughs) Fucking. Or as an alternate, they could get TJ's spot on the show. Yeah, somebody can take over for me. (laughs) The second, the the fifth Beatle bracket winner becomes the second Untitled Beatles podcast host. And TJ gets relegated to third host. That's fine. And then I'm going to leave a negative iTunes review about Tony's <laughs> politics. <laughs> I don't have to explain myself to you. I don't give two fucks about your review. Okay, well, all right. I'll take that. Uh, I guess I am the one who ended up sort of organizing the brackets. You did. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to take the heat. So send all your angry letters about why isn't Tony Barrow on there or any, you know, how come this? Hey, I'll tell you what. If I left someone off, 
I heard you. And when we do it in 2023, maybe they'll be on that list. But uh, yeah, I tried to I tried to put like the big four in the first bracket. I tried to put like early people, like close people in the second bracket. Third bracket was like people who've played on their records. Uh, fourth bracket was kind of we're getting into the film world and the producer world. Fifth bracket is like sit in people that sessioned with them. Sixth bracket are, uh, again, more like authors and uh, producers and DJs like Cavern Club people. Seventh bracket, we're getting out there with just kind of peripheral goofs. And our eighth bracket is just kind of a uh, a hodgepodge of a Chris Hodgepodge. <laughs> Chris Hodge. <laughs> UFO-laden podge. Hurricanes of thunder. Spaceships on the run. We're gonna bring the truth to planet Earth. We're gonna move it on and on. So I'm the one who made all those brackets, you know. So I don't know. TJ, are those brackets okay with you or did I leave someone off? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, yeah. here's the thing, because I did no work. I cannot complain. Tony and Casey, as always, <laughs> did all the work. I complained about being busy and did nothing and showed up ill-prepared. <laughs> Thank you, Untitled Beatles Podcast Universe. <laughs> However, there's a couple names that I felt like had I been in charge next year, I would have included. Number one, no Alan Civil, Tony. Come on, man. Come on, man. I considered him. I considered him. He played the French horn on For No One. He, Yeah, and I, maybe he played on something else later on. I forget, but um, right. Was he in the um, Give My Regards to Broad Street? Or was that just like an actor playing a French horn player? I think those guys were actors. I'm pretty sure. Or just regular musicians. I don't know if I, I don't think that movie had the budget to hire actors miming musicians playing brass to yesterday. Besides, Alan Civil has a face for recording, not the movies. You know what I mean? It's 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 a face only Pete Best Mom could love. Oh, we'll different, get into her. A different little bit reference later. for later. No, the big one. And I, people don't include this guy as much as they should. But the director of the anthology, I believe, is Jeff Wanfor, who directed the Beatles anthology. And if if Peter Jackson and Dick Lester are going to be on this and Michael Lindsay, boss hog, I might have included the director of anthology. But again, I did no work. I replied to no emails. So that'll be in our 2023 list. I guess we left you John wanting for. <laughs> oh shut up boo <laughs> yeah i also want to propose the animator who did the beatles cartoons and the you know yellow submarine i can't remember yeah. his name and i didn't look him up ahead of time but it's not peter max that much we know did al bordeaux do those no he sang the theme from moonlighting tj some walk by night, <laughs> different, eight different keys. Some fly by me, I think it's the right key. He did something weird where in the in the single version of the Moonlighting theme, he started for no reason by going, don't you change. Some walk by night. Every yeah. time I'm like, why, who is he talking to? The song hasn't begun yet. Don't you change. Some 
I have that 45. I know what you're Me talking too. about. <laughs> do you have the picture sleeve with Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis on it? Yes. <laughs> I've got the picture sleeve, but I want to say Al Jarreau's on it, or it's like a skyline or something. I might be misremembering it, but I, yeah, it's, I should go dig it up. There was a soundtrack cassette to Moonlighting that featured Bruce Willis doing Tell Her About It or something. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, The guy I was going for was Ron Campbell, the late Ron Campbell, who we lost in 2021. He was the Australian animator. Tom Petty's guitar player. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. He played that the Rick Beatles and cartoons <laughs> and played the Rickenbacker for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Playing in Rickenback, Texas. All right, let's. So, other than that, Tony, I thought you did a great, great job compiling this. There was at least one person that I'd never heard of before, and another person I'd read about once and <laughs> quickly forgot about. So, yeah. at these 32, you, you stumped me. When I was going through the list, I'm like, oh, I'm glad this isn't like a Beatle trivia contest because I would not get 100 on this. I would, <laughs> I'd get like an A minus or a B plus. Well, here we go. Let's do it. Let's do the showdown. All right, first matchup. In the first seat, Billy Preston in the eighth. Sorry, man, real quick. Is it for it's the seat, right? First seat. Sorry, no seed. Seed. Uh, thank you. First matchup in the first seed, Billy Preston. And in the eighth seed, coming in at number 32, the bottom of our list, Maureen Cleave. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Mo, but not that Mo. Different Mo. Different Mo, but also a Mo. Oh, a wise guy, huh? Who's Maureen Cleave? So she was that journalist. She was kind of a confidant of John. Some people think Norwegian Wood is about Maureen Cleave. Which Maureen Cleave denied. That's in what? Which Beatles book is that in? That's obviously in the Lewis. And who? Do you remember who said that? No, but she, yes, she did. She did deny yeah, it. Yeah, she came out and said no. Right. And we actually think that's more about Robert Friedman's wife. Uh, or Freeman. Ugh. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking of Morgan Friedman. We sat and drank with the sun on our shoulders and felt like free men. She also penned the uh, the article where the whole uh, Beatles are bigger than Jesus quote was taken out of context a year later and used against the Beatles for that whole tour in 66. Uh, not her fault. Not her fault. And she died. So what's the case for her being fifth Beatle then? It seems like all she did was cause headache. No, no, no. She suggested that John try harder lyrically. She was the one that I believe suggested he uses uh. words with more than two syllables or something, right? Wasn't that her for help? And that's he came up with help that way? Yes. There you go. There you go. Yeah, she was just a friend and an inspiration, I guess, I would say. And she gave him cred, journalistic cred. Are there any cons to Billy Preston winning this matchup? I mean, this one feels particularly obvious, given that the obvious thing where I start with Billy Preston is he's the only, up until the 09 CD reissues, when Clapton was finally allowed on pressings of For While My Guitar Gently Weeps, the White Album, up until then, the only non-Beatle mentioned on a Beatles release was Billy Preston. So, I mean... That's true. Is there any... Do you see any way there could be an upset in this matchup? I don't. I don't. And we lost Maureen Cleave last year, uh, not too long ago, November of 2021. So rest in peace, Maureen Cleave. I really enjoyed what you did before 1966 and all that. And uh, I 
think we got to give it to Billy. Yeah, it's no slander on Morgan Cleave. It's just a tough first-round matchup. How are you going to get through the buzzsaw that's Billy Preston? <laughs> no one's going to beat that. I'll play devil's advocate. You, In true March Madness uh, form, you can't have one shining moment without <laughs> Mo Cleave. In one shining moment, they're frozen in time. Okay, second matchup. In the fifth seed. Wait, wait, wait. Who oh. won? Are we saying that <laughs> oh. now or do we? No, I think. I thought uh, we said Yeah, it. we have to announce. It's Billy Preston's the clear winner. And just for the folks at home, the way we're thinking about doing this is if Tony and TJ have a consensus on the winner, we that's the clear winner. I shall provide the tiebreaker. I was prepared to put my finger on the scale for Maureen Cleave, but <laughs> no one else stood up for her. So Billy Preston advances. What you got against Billy Preston, <laughs> Casey? Casey forgot Billy Preston. <laughs> they forgot Billy Preston. No, we know we, we we love Billy. We'll talk about him more because he's coming up in the next round. Uh, That's right. Next matchup: fifth seed Andy White coming in at number seventeen against number sixteen fourth seed Dick Lester. All right, also known as Richard Lester. All right, so Dick Lester he directed Hard Day's Night, Help, How I Won the War, the John Lennon war spoof. He also worked with the Goons. And he directed my favorite Superman movie, Superman 2. And my favorite, Superman 3. How do you make Richard Pryor unfunny, Dick Lester? You didn't see the man come flying out of the sky from the clouds. It was him with his cape flapping in the... Saw it in the theater. Did you see that in the theater? Not in theaters. I saw it on one of the Cinemax or whatever cable station we had in the late 80s. Sexy Superman 3. Uh, Skinamax. <laughs> After 8 Mountain, 9 Central. Skinamax. All right. The following movie has been rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. It is intended for mature audiences. Cinemax will show this feature only at night. So Andy White, who's that? He's the guy who drummed on Love Me Do and P.S. I Love You. So he's a session drummer. He continues to haunt Ringo to this day. Uh, we lost him back in 2015. Rest in peace, Andy White. Uh, Dick Lester's still with us. What do you think, TJ, between these two? Tony, this is tricky because you have the drummer on arguably the best Beatles single. Isn't that what you've said? I believe you once said that Andy White's Latin percussion on P.S. I Love You gave you the, the tinglies and the feetsies. It did, but Ringo's the one playing the maracas. Ringo so it's Ringo that gives me the Andy White's on bongos, I think. P.S. I Love You. Yeah, look, Dick Lester is crucial, right? Yeah. I mean, Beatlemania, sure, it was in force around the world and in the States before A Hard Day's Night. But what A Hard Day's Night did for that band, you kind of forget that A Hard Day's Night won the hearts of a lot of the parents if their hearts hadn't already been won on Ed Sullivan because it was so funny with other established actors. And it was a legitimate comedy film that was also a musical. So Dick Lester, you know, helped. Not as good as A Hard Day's Night, as far as I'm concerned. How I Won the War is a really good and breezy and funny film with some very strange moments in it. The Running, Jumping, Standing Still film, which I finally saw when they did the DVD issue about 15 years ago. Oh. Richard Lester is super, super important in the Beatles' career. I think he wins this by a landslide, Fleetwood Mac. I'm going to agree with you, yeah, because Andy White was a Beatle for a day, and that was about it. Yeah. And not even really a Beatle. He just played on a Beatles track for one day. 
like the Thompson twins. Remember that? King for just one day. They sang weird. King for just one day. I would give it all. Hold me now. Hold oh, the a seven heart. What are you speaking? I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, Dick Lester. So we'll give that to, to Mr. Lester. All right, next matchup. In the third seed, coming in at number nine, Yoko. Three hole. <laughs> Three hole. It's Yoko's Ono. Yoko Ono. Yoko's Ono. <laughs> and then she's going up against our favorite American Beatle candidate uh, in the sixth seat, number 24, Dave Dexter I Jr. smell an upset coming. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, come on. Well, here's the thing. I got some pros and cons. Here's Let's the pros. Yoko inspired some of John's greatest music. Dave Dexter improved Rubber Soul and gave us the Beatles' second album. Here are the cons. Yoko broke up the Threedles by not giving them a better version of Now and Then. <laughs> and, and of course, Dave Dexter destroyed Revolver. Yeah. So there's those. He castrated Revolver, man. <laughs> Real double-edged sword. If you like your Revolver with less John Lennon, you'll love the U.S. Capitol Revolver. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to put in my vote for Yoko. To me, she's more a part of the Beatles did the Beatles even ever meet Dave Dexter? He just tinkered with their stuff. Agree, I, I agree. Meet the Beatles is a great record. Second album is a, a rocker. Without Dave Dexter, we wouldn't have the Butcher cover. You know, there's that. That is such a fun little. Everyone loves the Butcher cover. It's crazy. There'd be no Beatles VI, which I believe <laughs> when it came out had a list of the songs and a note that said "See label for correct running order." Because I think they, they got it out. Get the product out to the kids. I don't care what's on the cover. <laughs> yeah, they didn't care. He added reverb to all the you know all this stuff. Uh, we lost him back in 1990. Yoko Ono still with us at this writing. So stay strong, Yoko. My vote's for Yoko. I I, I I'm gonna. I'll ask for your vote. I suppose. I'm voting for Dave Dexter. <laughs> All right, Casey. There, I did it. All right, it's my first uh, weigh-in here. I, you both make compelling arguments. You know, Dave Dexter's impact certainly uh, earlier in the Beatles' career, too, and, and really instrumental in their explosion in the U.S. Uh, Yoko, definitely an indelible impression on, like, late-era Beatles music. You know, what direction does John go without Yoko in his life? We don't know. Mm. I think I have to... I have to put this on, I'm going to put this one on replaceability. And I think if Dave Dexter isn't there, there's some other schmo who comes off the bench who does the same thing. Without Yoko, totally di different trajectory. So I think I have to give this one to Yoko. Here's what's frustrating about you two men is that you don't have the balls to imagine a cover that's got John Lennon and Dave Dexter naked on it, swinging dogs. <laughs> Fair, oh, fair, TJ. Yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't ready for that. You're right. All right, next round one matchup. We've got in the seventh seed, uh, coming in at number 25, Murray the K against second seeded number eight, Mal Evans. Mallet Mal Evans. I don't know, this one's pretty easy. Little trivia for you there. Uh, Murray the K, the first, I believe, to use the phrase, the fifth Beatle. Yes, he coined the phrase in 1964. New York City disc jockey, 
who was one of the first people, first Americans to greet the Fab Four, you know, when they got off that plane, made them at home over there. One of my favorite clips in that Beatles' first U.S. visit documentary is when they show Murray the K in great footage um, saying, hey, this keeps up, I'm going to be the fifth Beatle, baby. The Beatles station, they're taking over, they're telling us what to play. I got one more week of this, and I'm going to become the fifth Beatle, baby. And he's playing Marvin Gaye's Pride and Joy as a request from the Beatles. It's a magical <laughs> moment in that documentary. Also, not streaming anywhere. The amount of incredible Beatles material that you can't find is, uh, uh, or yeah. can't find easily is astonishing. Uh, but yeah, the thing about Mal Evans is Mal Evans also played on a song or two. And Mal yeah. Evans, if you believe him, wrote half a Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> well, he helped with fixing a hole. Uh, yeah, he's contributed a whole bunch. He started as the roadie. He's been a longtime friend. He contributed ideas. We saw it happen right there in Peter Jackson's Get Back with him helping Paul with Long and Winding Road and the lyrical choices. You like standing better? Well, uh, yeah, put weight in there, standing there. So it would be... You left me waiting here A long, long time ago Yeah, I have a ton of credits, but I'll save it for later because I think this is an easy, an easy win for Mal Evans. That's my vote. I'm voting for Mal Evans, too, but I don't think it's as easy. I think what Murray the K did in really helping the Beatles explode in the largest radio market in the country, I think New York was in 64, mm -hmm. um, his role in that. Uh, I think is not to be overlooked at how he influenced teenagers in that massive media market. But yeah, obviously Mal Evans, he does lose points for banging an anvil incorrectly, or is that Michael <laughs> Lindsay Hogg's fault? We'll never know. <laughs> yeah. I think he was doing it in time. I think, I think that the Peter Jackson truth tapes revealed that he was actually in time. All right, next battle. In the second seat, number five, Pete Best against seventh seated, number 28, Marsha Albert. Everyone knows who Marsha Albert is. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, okay, I'll be honest with you about something. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Beatle things I know, a lot of Beatle things I don't know, a lot of Beatle things I've forgotten. I didn't know who the fuck Marsha Albert was. <laughs> and then when I researched it, I still didn't care. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, TJ's already rendered his vote in this round. Not necessarily. Have you heard the best drumming? Take it, Casey. Three, two. All right. Well, yes. Uh, Pete Best was the first drummer for the group, you know, and uh, he was also the first Beatle to appear on Late Night with David Letterman. Yeah, man. 82? Somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. I think it was 82 or 83. It was when the set was brown. <laughs> Those years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, his mom opened up the Casbah Coffee Club. Were it not for kind of her mom and Pete, like uh, the momentum of the Beatles would have figured differently, I think. 
And yet, Marsha Albert requested, I want to hold your hand on Silver Spring, Maryland radio station, WWDC, now an iHeart radio station. Here's the new Ed Sheeran. It's the now sound of WWDC 1260. Well, here's the deal, man. She was this 15-year-old girl, yeah, from Silver Spring, Maryland, and she saw on a Sunday program, like, this group in England that was amazing, and it was the Beatles, obviously, and she was like, well, why can't Americans enjoy this music? Look at all the fun they're having. Our president just got shot, you know? So she called up the station, had wanted to hear, I want to hold your hand. They got a flight attendant from British Airways to deliver a copy of the single to WWDC AM radio. And she got called into the station December 17th, 1963, to introduce I Want to Hold Your Hand for the first time ever on U.S. Airwaves. So Marsha Albert of Dublin Drive of Silver Spring has the honor of introducing something brand new and exclusive here at WWDC. Marsha, the microphone here on the Carol James Show is yours. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on the air in the United States, here are the Beatles singing, I want to hold your hand. Uh, I'm going to give this vote to Pete Best because the fifth Beatle I ever knew about was Pete Best. Pete Best is an affable guy. He's a likable guy. He's more than a historical footnote, but he loses points for releasing an album called Best of the Beatles, where he basically did cover songs. Some other guy now, taking that love. So I'm voting for someone I'd not heard of until two hours ago, Marsha wow. Albert. Wow. <laughs> All right. I get another one then. Um, okay. You both make really compelling arguments. Surprisingly, TJ, who's never heard. For folks at home, our little video chat that we're talking over, TJ's Chiron reads, the fuck is Marsha Albert? Uh, and here he is. Didn't know. You know, defending her, a seven seed. Um Part of me is really inclined, like Pete Best really contributed to the Beatles. Like he is on record with them. He was a Beatle. Yeah. Yeah. He plays on their audition, their DECA audition. But TJ makes a compelling point that his contributions to those are not great. And if I go by the same criteria I used uh, earlier is who's the next person up on the bench behind them. Marsha Albert really went to bat for the Beatles. <laughs> I think the next man up behind Pete Best Probably does a better job. Let's be real. I have to give this one to Marsha Albert. <laughs> wow. Cinderella story. Holy. What's this called? Uh, let me look it up on my uh, glossary. Slippers for sleepers. Oh. <laughs> Cinderella story. Spinderella cut it up one time. Okay, next up. We've got the sixth-seeded Mark Lewison against the third-seeded Nikki Hopkins. Okay. Mark Lewison, premier Beatle historian, the world's leading authority on the Fab Four. He wrote the complete Beatles recording sessions, The Beatles, all these years. Tune in. He's got another one coming out in a couple years. He's written a bunch of other books, The Beatles Live, that... Uh, has a complete history of all their live performances. The dude knows his shit. I go to him for all my, not all my facts, for a lot of my facts. I rely on Mr. Lewison. And then we got Nicky Hopkins, session man. He played the uh, electric piano on Revolution. Uh, 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 
And he's played with every Beatle after the breakup. So he, that's him on Imagine. That's him on Living in the Material World, Ringo's Ringo album. And he played on Flowers in the Dirt. Yeah, his piano on the song That Day Is Done that he wrote with Elvis Costello is gorgeous. flowers in the dirt That's when a thrill becomes a hurt It's a very gospel-y type song, and if you read the creation of that song, Elvis Costello talks about how Paul's simple chorus reminded him of Let It Be and uh, really helped that song take off. So again, Tony, that's one in a different episode. I'm going to play Force Tony to Enjoy Flowers in the Dirt because I love, love, love that record. Um, yeah, man, this is this is not tricky. Nip, Nikki Hopkins, uh, n- Nippy Hoskins, Bob Nippy. Hoskins, yeah. Nipsey Russell. <laughs> the mashup you didn't Who know framed you Roger Daltrey? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Credits to the song is over. Um, so, all right. Uh, Nikki Hopkins' keyboard on Revolution makes the song so much more energetic. Uh, it just adds dimension. He was one of the first outside musicians to come on and be part of the combo, not like a uh, an orchestral Alan Civil type thing. Yeah. But Mark Lewison taught generations of Beatles fans their history. He kind of fell out of favor with the Beatles camp for a while. Mm. Um, they've switched for liner notes from Lewison to Kevin Howlett. Oh, right. In yes. the different CD iterations. But if you look at the original past masters, those are all Mark Lewison's notes. Recording Sessions, which I think came out in 88, yeah. was about as influential of a Beatles book as anybody could have had at the time because it put order and context and accuracy to things. It absolutely has to be Mark Lewison. Yes. I think I'm going to. Yes. I'm going to agree with you on that. Yeah. I love Nicky Hopkins, but he, uh, not but. And he also played on. Kinks records, Rolling Stones records. He played the on who, right? the Who, the Ox. He played on that great instrumental that the Who did on their first record. Um, yeah, yeah. We lost him a long time ago, nineteen ninety four. Um, but it's great to see him play on Imagine. You know the the video, all the film footage we have of them recording that record. I meant the album Imagine, not the song. Yeah, man, he's a great dude. Rest in peace. But as far as Beatle World goes, I got to give it to Lewison. You know, there is some controversy. I'm pretty sure the Paul McCartney song Early Days from New, where one of the standout tracks where Paul sings in kind of like a real raspy, his voice sounds weathered more than any other protected Paul McCartney song of the last 20 years or 15 years or so. I think the song Early Days is pointed at Mark Lewison. Mm. They can't take away from me if they tried. I was there for the early days. I mean, the lyrics wrong. I haven't heard the song in a couple of years. They can't take it from me if they try. I live through those early days. The gist of it is Paul trying to reclaim Beatles history from the so-called historians. And I think some of that was directed at Mark Lewison. Copy that, man. Well, I tell you what, yeah, maybe next year we throw Kevin Howlett into the mix, you know? Or well, we- that's who Queenie Eye was about. <laughs> Our next matchup is in the fourth seed, Peter Jackson, who's coming in at number 13. That's pretty high. I think this is his year, you know what I mean? And uh, in the fifth seed, he's going up against number 20, Jim Keltner. All right. What do we think here? What do we think here? So Peter Jackson, of course, director of Get Back. We all watched it. We've watched it a few times now. 
what Peter Jackson did was give us the second best Beatles documentary after Anthology. I mean, is the access to the history that we got was unmatched in some ways better than Anthology because it was of its one sole focus. Yes. And the cleaned up footage. But, you know, then again, Keltner, a.k.a. Buster Sidebury. I love poor guy was was a member of the Wilburys and didn't get his own Wilbury brother name. He got Buster Sidebury. You know, he played with a, on a ton of George records. He's all over the George, George Harrison's last couple of albums. Of course, the Wilbury stuff. He was on Living With Material World. He toured with Ringo. Yeah, all-star band. I don't believe he ever worked with Paul. No. They were both at the concert for George. Is Keltner on drums when Paul's performing? Oh. I can't answer that without researching it. Yeah. They never did studio work together. Yeah, we should look into that. that that's, a good, that's a good point. Yeah. He played on Walls and Bridges, too. So he played yeah. with Lennon. And then obviously with Ringo and George. So yeah, yeah. Paul was his only, the only one he didn't play with. Did he at any point play with the Beatles? He's not on any Beatles recordings, right? This no. is all post, post breakup. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he's, he's actually on the Wikipedia list of like possible fifth Beatle choices. So that's, that's yeah. kind of why he makes this list in a way. Fair game. Fair game. Fair game. Yeah. Are there cons with these two? My con is, is poor Peter Jackson looks like disheveled Jack Black. <laughs> Like, I want to give Peter Jackson a shower and a hug. He's, he's just too busy watching the dailies, man. Like, he is a workaholic, you know? Uh, so that's his con is his physical appearance? Yeah. I don't have time for people who don't look like me. Because, you know, because Keltner, Keltner's, you know, very clean. No, I don't well, know. I'm Googling how Jim Keltner looks. These days, you know, actually, these days, I think he did. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like how he looked at Bangladesh or whatever. He looks like a musician, you know, with long hair and maybe he showered. He's a nice old man and he it's very clean. I'm going to go with Peter Jackson. This is his year. He gave us. Yes, I agree with you, TJ. The best Beatles thing since 95, nearly 30 years. He's brought us a joyful and rich presentation of an otherwise what we thought in in history was the winter of discontent and he's also getting like young people into the Beatles now if you go on Instagram or whatever you're doing these days there's like vertical videos of it looks like John's <laughs> looks like John Lennon is on TikTok or whatever which is weird to me but who cares I'm glad it's happening I'm glad it's living on you know well and that's the only problem with the get back movies is that he didn't interview Sia to get her thoughts on the Beatles. <laughs> he didn't interview Adam Levine to get his thoughts on the Beatles. That's what was frustrating is I want talking heads yeah. who are, you know, pop artists now to talk about what hearing Lady Madonna meant to them. <laughs> like like we do. <laughs> like we do. This is the Beatles, Don't Let Me Down. I'm anxious to hear this. Don't let me down. Well, I vote for Peter Jackson. Yeah, me too. I, I love Keltner, but I got to vote for, for Peter. Once again, Jim Keltner gets, he's the Rodney Dangerfield of rock drummers. He gets no respect. I'm all Peter Jackson too. Get a shave, son. <laughs> all right. Continuing our first round coverage is eighth seed Maharishi against first seeded Stuart Sutcliffe. This one was ridiculous. <laughs> this is one where I was like, whatever Tony's on, I want it. I want you to want me. I want you to want me. Well, Maharishi, you know, he spent a limited time with the, the Fab Four, but so did Stu Sutcliffe. 
In fact, when Stu was, he was actually the actual fifth Beatle because they were a five piece with him in there. <laughs> you know, a lot of people give Stu the title of fifth Beatle. That's how it always was. Like before we were talking about George Martin or any of these other people, it really was Stu Sutcliffe, maybe Pete Best, you know. So Stu held on to these to this title for so long. Uh, he was the original bass guitarist. He left the band to pursue art and to be with... Put that in air quotes, Tony. <laughs> bass guitarist. Faced the upstage wall and held it. Didn't make a sound. The Beatles forced him to, to buy a bass so that they could have a bass player in their band. He couldn't play it. He was often a half a step down or whatever. You know, He wore sunglasses. I think Paul was not as into Stu being in the band as the others were, probably because of his musicianship. Stu sang Love Me Tender, which often got a, a bigger response from the crowds than some of the other songs at that time. And then we're going up against uh, Maharishi. So Maharishi, you know, large spiritual influence between like 67 and 68. He inspired the songs Sexy Sadie. Everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey. Come on is such a joy. Sour Milk Sea. And Child of Nature and Mother Nature's Son were both inspired by uh, one of his lectures. So uh, we lost him back in 2008. We lost Stu back in 1962. It kills me that Maharishi didn't live to hear the 09 remasters. (laughs) (laughs) Just short of it. He he always dreamed of hearing the Yellow Submarine soundtrack finally remastered. From its dastardly 87 <laughs> mix. Well, yeah, when John was in the helicopter with him, Maharishi was asking for a monocopy of the inner light, you know. <laughs> Excuse me, a stereo, because the mono was the single. Yeah, he wanted to hear the stereo, because the Maharishi had the finer things there at the ashram. Uh, okay, th- this is tricky, because TLC wrote a song about Maharishi called Creep. <laughs> Maharishi was a creep. I thought that was a Stone Temple Pilots song. I thought that was a Radiohead song. <laughs> it's a Radiohead song. But I'm a I'm a okay, Stu Sutcliffe, I mean, he was, to put it in topical millennial terms, this one's for Casey, Stu Sutcliffe was the opposite of Megan Trainer. He was not all about that bass. We'll be right back. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. I might have just... <laughs> Did Megan Trainer sing all about that bass, Casey? I'm not sure because I think Megan Trainer is a Gen Z thing. Oh, all right, old man. Take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you. Um, yeah, and uh, you know the Maharishi was a creep, and the Beatles pretty quickly disavowed him. I'm going Stu Sutcliffe here. Yeah, Yo Tambien, man. All right, there we go. And Rick Sutcliffe, Cy Young Award-winning <laughs> pitcher for the '84 Cubs. Yeah. Let's do this. All right. In the first seed, heavy hitter, Brian Epstein. It's going to be hard to beat this one. He is going up against uh, ranked 30th in the eighth seed, Bernard Purdy. Stop it. First of all, it's Prudy. (laughs) 
Second of all, stop it, Tony. Casey, can you flag this? You're wearing a black and white. You look like a referee today. Can you flag this? I think I, I have Call like a, a foul. I have a red card somewhere in my desk. Oh, very Ted Lasso of you. A little more international. I don't know, man. This is a hard one. I think it's a, so because so Bernard, uh, who invented the Purdy Shuffle. He pretended to play on Beatles albums. He says so. In fact, in Gig Magazine, 1978, here's the quote. I overdubbed drumming on 21 tracks of the first Beatle albums. They paid me a lot of money to keep my mouth shut, but it's been 10 years, so fuck it. I guess I can talk about it. Oh, no. (laughs) Wait, I thought, like, we've referred to his interview in some video that's on YouTube multiple times where he the just Steely Dan the documentary Steely Dan the Asia. Steely Dan documentary and he like lists off all these acts he worked with and they kind of like fade out when he starts to mention the Beatles because it <laughs> yeah. seems like an editor was like that might not be true Aretha Franklin Nina Simone Roberta Flack Donny Hathaway James Brown Lloyd Price Ray Charles Frank Sinatra Heinz Heinz and Ford Barry Manilow Dionne Warwick, The Animals, The Monkeys, The Beatles, B.B. King, Bobby Blue. I didn't know that he all, I didn't know about this quote, so that he's got yeah, it started this whole, there's a whole conspiracy theory. Yeah, there has been a conspiracy theory that's been out there forever that I've seen on message boards back in the message board days of like, you know, Bernard Purdy actually played drums on all that stuff. And it's based on this quote. And uh, the possible scenario is that he maybe played on like Beatle knockoff records, you know, by like the Bugs with two G's and the Beatles with two E's. Because he refers to the song She Loves You. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I played on that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you. Anyway, I'm not buying it. Uh, I guess I'm going to vote for Brian Epstein, their their manager. Yeah, this is a tricky one. <laughs> not sure where I stand. I mean, I have burned my fair share of copies of A Cellar Full of Noise. <laughs> Why'd you have multiple copies, TJ? It's pretty weird. One year for Halloween, I went as the book, A Cellar Full of Noise, and I just had a bunch <laughs> of front covers, and I burned the rest. Um, yeah, I mean, Brian Epstein... His story, I cannot wait to do our three-parter on Brian Epstein, our deep dish, because he's like arguably in 1A or 1B or 1C for the fifth Beatle running. But because of how quickly his life ended with how much more was left of their career to go, he almost feels pushed aside Yeah, in Beatle history. I know that sounds nuts, but he really does. No, I get that. And I think that's because he's been gone so long. We lost him in August of 1967. So he kind of became fossilized or something, you know? I mean, so two months after Pepper came out or pretty close to that? Yeah. Brian Epstein is gone. And then you, so Pepper's riding the wave of the summer of love when Brian Epstein is dead. And then think we used to have you, Magical Mystery Tour, the L7 movie, the White Album, Abbey Road. There is a chunk, a crucial chunk of the Beatles' career that is sans Brian Epstein. But in certainly in this matchup with Bernard Purdy, uh, yeah, Brian Epstein, 100 percent. And I'm going to make a wager that Brian Epstein might win this whole fucking thing when all said and done. Wow. Wow. Big words. Big words. Well, let's keep plowing through. Let's see what we got next up in the fifth seed. Chaz Newby, 
against fourth-seeded Michael Lindsay Hogg. So we got number 19 against number 14 here. Okay, who's Chaz Newby, right? Yes. <laughs> who's Chaz Newby? I, I know I'd read about him. I'd heard the name, unlike Michelle uh, Albert, hey, 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 Marsha Albert. I didn't want to get her name right. She's still around? She'd come on our show? She beat Pete Best. <laughs> She's in the next round, she man. Beat Pete Best. Oops. <laughs> that edible kick in at the wrong time. <laughs> Well, let me enlighten you, TJ. Uh, Please. Ch- Chaz Newby, he was the second Beatles bassist. So after Stu, he played four gigs with them in Liverpool, but did not go with them to their second trip back to Germany. And that was it. So well worthy of including here. <laughs> well, he played with them. You know what I mean? He was a Beatle. How many people were actually a Beatle? There you go, man. Didn't Horst Foscher play with them too on stage <laughs> and went drunken night at the ca- at next the, uh, year? Horst Foscher's in the running next year. TJ, you betcha. You surrendered your opportunity to put input into this list. I, I did. I did. But my kiss was on your list. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Chaz is going up against Michael Lindsay Hogg. He directed uh, Let It Be. But in addition to that, prior to all that, he was a a director for Ready, Steady, Go, which, you know, he got to work with like the Yardbirds and the Who and all those up and coming groups. It's a great show. It's all that great footage. It's fun. Uh, He did the promo films, which are considered like the first music videos for Paperback Writer, Rain, Revolution, Hey Jude. He did the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus, which gives me my favorite Who performance of all time. And he did some Wings videos. Plus, did you know this? He directed a, a TV movie called Two of Us, Yes. Did you? I never saw it. It's about the night that uh, Lauren Michaels offered the Beatles three grand to reunite yeah. as a gag. John and Paul. Yeah. Now, historically, they're saying it's kind of impossible that those two were actually together that night. Like, people are kind of digging up the dates on that. And But this is a movie. It's like, oh, uh, the story was like, oh, John and Paul were together that night in New York City. And they thought about actually going down to 30 Rock and all that. Anyway, he directed that. Yeah. I've got that on VHS. I think that's from the either 2000 or yeah. right around then. It came out in 2000. Yes. Yeah. That was when I was still videotaping things. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, uh, look, it takes no more of a source than the great Peter Jackson to vindicate and validate Michael Lindsay Hogg's contribution because it was Peter Jackson and that I- IMAX Q&A who said we have Michael Lindsay Hogg to thank. He's the one who rolled in all this footage and directed all this footage originally. So even though Peter Jackson directed and assembled this version, there would be no version were it not for Michael Lindsay Hogg's foresight and patience. I mean, uh, in, in my opinion, the Get Back releases only elevated Michael Lindsay Hogg that much more for me as a fan. I agree with you, man. Got to vote for him. He is getting the vote. Yeah. All right. Uh, Uh, Are you sure you don't have anything else on Chaz Newby? (laughs) I got nothing. I got nothing. He was he was he wasn't even a member of Jimmy Nickel and the Shub Dubs. All right. So. (laughs) Next up. Third-seeded Klaus Vorman against sixth-seeded Bob Wooler. Bob Wooler, the Cavern Club DJ, introduced the Beatles to Brian Epstein. Klaus Vorman, 
Met the Beatles in Hamburg, lived with Ringo and George, designed the Revolver cover, designed the anthology covers. He was the one who played bass on I'm the Greatest, which was the closest we ever got to a Beatles reunion in John Lennon's lifetime. He did a bunch of other stuff too, played on Plastic Ono Band. I can go down the list. It'll take a while, but he played on a lot of Beatles, post-Beatles stuff. Klaus Vormann is one of the three or four most important people in the Beatles' peripheral orbit. With all due respect to Bob Willer, who I think John Lennon beat up. Yes, at Paul's 21st birthday party. Yes, and he had to like go to the hospital and stuff. And they, they paid, they, instead of going to the courts, they gave him some money. Yeah, I mean, we can uh, we can wrap this pretty quick. Klaus Vormann is super important and crucial and is such a gentleman and such a statesman. You know, uh, his playing a concert for Bangladesh. He has been part of so many massive moments in Beatle history, including designing the cover for arguably the, one of their top two records. Indeed. And I'm talking about Anthology 3. <laughs> I love I love the George Martin instrumental uh, beginning. That's how it opens. Yeah, man. We should cover those sometime. That would be fun to go through those. Yeah. Uh, he won a Grammy, actually, for uh, the Revolver cover. Oh. So there you go, man. Yeah, that's right. I got to vote for Klaus. Klaus Vorman. All right, next up, we got uh, seventh-seated Kevin Harrington. Jesus Christ. He's the redhead <laughs> on the roof. He's like a fan favorite from the Get Back movie. He held the lyrics for John Lennon. His stock is rising. <laughs> during I Dig a Pony. Yep. He's going up against Neil Aspinall <laughs> in the second seed. It's a get-back matchup. It is a get-back matchup. Uh, though we don't see that much of Neil, do we? No. No, but he's he comes in once or twice, right? Or am I thinking of Derek Taylor? Because I get those guys mixed up a lot. I know Derek Taylor's there. I feel like they refer to him. I feel like I saw a, like a subtitle or like a little Chiron introducing him at some point. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely a talking head on all the anthology stuff. Like anthology was was kind of he was an EP on it, executive producer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Neil Aspinall, school friend of Paul and George, road manager, became their personal assistant and was CEO of Apple. And he did all the the what do you call it? Like he went to bat for them in court when they had lawsuits against Alan Klein, EMI, Apple computers. Yeah. <laughs> so also he played Tambura on Within You Without You. Well, it was also Neil Aspinall who was trying to assemble a Beatles documentary from the early 70s on under the working title The Long and Winding Road, a bit yeah. like all the Let It Be footage was given to Phil Spector to try to make an album out of it. All the Beatles history was given to Neil Aspinall in the early 70s, and he was told, make something of this. And it, of course, never came to fruition until Anthology. Neil Aspinall came back to Apple in the 90s when Apple resumed again after all the lawsuits had ended. It's because of Neil Aspinall that we have live at the BBC. It's because of Neil Aspinall yeah. that we have the anthology, the anthology book. In fact, uh, Neil Aspinall basically, right when he died, this, that was 2008, yes? Yes, 2008. Apple then was handed over to Jeff Jones. Jeff Jones, who was an executive who did a lot of the reissues for CBS and Columbia, Miles Davis, a lot of their catalog stuff. And it was with Jeff Jones that the Beatles catalog took its next step with the remasters and the remixes we've seen and all that. So while Neil Aspinall's death was very sad, it was handed over. Apple was in more than capable hands. But Kevin Harrington went to work with Motorhead later.
Yeah, I mean, without question, I think I got to vote Kevin Harrington in this matchup. Tony? <laughs> well, I'm voting Neil Aspinall. That means I'm it's Aspinall, a tie. I'm Aspinall, but to me too. <laughs> okay. So you're putting up to me? Oh, okay, phew. I don't want to be on that hot seat. Casey, do you agree? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, obviously. Although, as like the producer of the show, I kind of identify with uh, Kevin Harrington. <laughs> I, Sometimes I, I got to be there to hold the lyrics up for you. Yeah, you. Yes, you do that for us every week, and we love you. Uh, Get out of here! Thank you for going and fetching bow ties for us. We're wearing our bow ties today. And Botox. Thanks for getting that. Yeah. My cheeks is puffy. Let's pretend we just can't see his face. We still got a couple more in this first round. Next up, it's Derek Taylor in the second seed against Astrid Kircher in the seventh. I don't know who either of these people are, so. Oh. I well, could use some help. Well, the latter was in Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> That's a millennial movie, isn't it? <laughs> That and Memento. We get it. You're into the artsy films. <laughs> You're thinking of Ashton Kuncher, TJ. Is that what's pronounced? Kuncher? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nope. It's not Ashton Kuncher. It's Kevin Malone. Equally handsome, equally smart. No, Astrid Kircher, which I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't know how to pronounce German things, but I think it's Kircher. Kircher, sure. She's influential too. I mean, she and Stu fell in love with each other. But the biggest thing about her is the photos she took documenting those early Beatles years are some of the most striking Beatles photography that exists pre-Beatlemania. Yes, they're iconic. And yeah, that's that picture that John uses on the rock and roll album is from is from that. It's from those Hamburg days. She's also credited with inventing the mop top haircut, which she denies. She says that's rubbish. Um I think she helped cut it and all that, but it was, she said she knew people that had that haircut prior to the Beatles. She was also the advisor on that movie Backbeat in 94, which was all about their uh, Hamburg years. Great movie. I love the soundtrack for that. Yeah. Very Gen X, TJ. Very Gen X. Yeah. Very Gen X doing only um, the covers and those. No Lennon and McCartney songs, just the covers that the Beatles did. Yeah. And like Roadrunner and stuff. I'm a Roadrunner, honey. Now, who's Derek Taylor? He was the press officer for the Beatles and Apple. He was the one that was working on the Beatles anthology book, which is a great book. The thing is, he stepped away from the Beatles for a little bit to move to L.A. and he worked with the Beach Boys. He's the one who coined the phrase pocket symphony to describe the Beach Boys good vibrations. That was his work. Did he show up at all in the Get Back movie? I remember him briefly, I think, during yes. some playback stuff. I, saw, I, okay. I thought I saw him come in. Looking very quaffed. He's also who inspired uh, George Harrison's Blue Jay Way. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right, because they were in L.A. That's right. Yeah. And he was on his way, and they got lost in the fog. It was before GPS. Derek Taylor also wrote a lot of the sleeve notes for the early British Beatles albums, which are delightful to read. Agreed. Did he or did Tony Barrow write those? Now I'm in my Beatle head. Oh, yeah. It might be more Tony Barrow. Um, he's the one that helped George ghostwrite that Daily Express column, and he helped Brian Epstein with Cellar Full of Noise. But I'm sure he contributed in some way to uh, maybe some of those liner notes. And I think he helped George with I Me Mine? Yes, he did. The George Harrison book? Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. I'm going to vote for Derek. Yeah, I'm going for uh, Derek Taylor and the Dominoes as well. Derek, <laughs> Derek King Size Taylor and the Dominoes. We pulled it all together. And Kevin Harrington was also a roadie for uh, Derek and the Dominoes, FYI. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
he is who uh, Clapton wrote Layla about. <laughs> couple more matchups. We've got Alan Williams in the sixth seed against third-seeded Eric Clapton. Speaking of Clapton, speaking of Layla. Clapton, why is he a fifth Beatle? Well, he played guitar in While My Gently Weeps. Him and George played uh, on that Cream Song uh, badge. Yes? We missed While My Guitar Gently Weeps. No, Tony's you... Tony's got the original title. While My, while my Gently Weeps. Yeah. Well, oh, did I say just While My Gently yeah. Weeps? You said play guitar on While My Gently Weeps. Well, I said guitar in there already. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I'll just plug it in. Yeah, yeah. Just put it. Just put it. In. <laughs> Let me take that again. Uh, why it in? You could do just. Why is Eric Clapton a fifth? Beatle? All right, three, two, one. Clapton. Why is he a fifth Beatle? Well, he played guitar in "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Uh, he also played guitar on "Cream's Badge" with George. <laughs> that makes sense. And then, you know, he fell in love with Patty, George's wife. He played at Bangladesh. He's in the Dirty Mac. Uh, I think he played with Plastic Ono Band in Toronto, is it? He I did think? that Toronto show, yeah. Yeah. The Live Peace album. Going up against Alan Williams, the Beatles' first manager. He's the one that took him to Hamburg for the first time and then uh, gave him away. In fact, he wrote a, a memoir called The Man Who Gave the Beatles Away. Unlike the, the Beatle who gave his wife away to Eric Clapton. <laughs> People say I'm crazy. Giving my wife away. <laughs> John wrote that about George. <laughs> I'm going to vote for uh, Alan Williams on this one, man. Yeah, me too, because if Alan Williams were alive, he probably wouldn't be railing on vaccines. <laughs> Alan Williams. And also Clapton did the most pedestrian cover of the self-titled George Harrison album's opener, Love Comes to Everyone. In his 2004 or five album, Back Home, maybe 2006, I'm close. And it's it's a pedestrian reading of that song. Look, Clapton is the reason we have George Harrison playing live on that Live in Japan concert album. Clapton deserves a lot of credit as well. He was loyal to George, organizing the concert for George. Clapton is a seminal figure in Beatles history, but I'm frustrated with slow hand. I'm taking Alan Williams. Yeah, me too. I think... I think in the year 2022, that vote makes sense to me. Moving along, fourth-seeded Phil Spector. Oh, everybody's favorite. Against fifth-seeded Jimmy Nickel. <laughs> Rock's two most renowned murderers. Face no, off. no, no, no. Oh. Different drummer, different drummer. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of Jim Gordon. He's the one that uh, murdered his mom. He played on All Things Must Pass and was Derek in the Dominoes. Uh, good drummer. Bad choices. Bad good, choices. Yeah, but you know what a good choice? He made those real yummy frozen fish sticks. <laughs> Gordon's. Yeah. Jim yeah. Gordon's. Gordon's crunchy fish sticks and fillets. Absolutely no preservatives. And mom, no leftovers. Press the Gordon's fisherman. Phil Spector, he's the producer, so he produced Let It Be, Instant Karma, Plastic Ono Band, All Things Must Pass, Power to the People, Imagine, The Concert for Bangladesh, Happy Christmas, War is Over, Sometime in New York City. He was fired from living in the material world, and then he, last thing he did with the Beatles, as far as I know, was rock and roll, John Lennon's uh, rock and roll album. And he's a murderer. We should say that. He's a murderer. Even John was tired of him by then. He only produced about half of that record, the rock yeah. and roll album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Nickel, he drummed eight shows on the world tour of uh, 1964. 
while Ringo had his tonsils taken out. He inspired the song Getting Better, and he inspired moments of the film That Thing You Do, which was written by Tom Hanks. Uh, he later went on to uh, to play with Jimmy Nickel and the Shub Dubs and is bitter and possibly living in Mexico. He kind of disappeared. It's my favorite James Taylor album, Possibly <laughs> Living in Mexico. Untitled Beatles podcast love two things Ringo's album Bad Boy and Jimmy Nickel I mean here's the thing Phil Spector is crucial but he's a murderer Jimmy Nickel is a cult figure who's hilarious he didn't want to market he didn't want to make money off his short time with the Beatles which is what's so weird he never wrote a book he's not an anthology or any of that stuff it's time we give Jimmy Nickel his due so this is Christmas Jimmy Nickel's my pick <laughs> I'm going to go with you on that one. I'm going to go with you on that one. I think I, I love Spectre in his way, not as a, anything about the murder and that awful thing. But yeah, I think we need to give love to Jimmy Nickel. Okay. He's the anti-P best, it sounds like. He is. He didn't go on to record an album of Beatle covers or cash in or uh -uh. didn't appear on the Letterman show. No, he no, was he just didn't. about his life. He was just shoving and dubbing with the shub dubs. Shoving and dubbing. We got one more in the first round. In the 31st place, eighth seed, Magic Alex against first seeded number two, George Martin. George Martin was the producer of the Beatles. Magic Alex, Giannis Alexis Mardas, was the head of Apple Electronics. He was the inventor of the nothing box and other useless things. <laughs> I love Magic Alex. He is like the most comic character in the Beatle comic book. Well, and unlike George Martin, Magic Alex never produced a band who sang a line that went, There were rocks and birds and plants and turds. <laughs> is that America? Who is that? What song is that? Plants and birds and rocks and turds. <laughs> talking about right? No. Who is that? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you're going for a horse with no name. I think that's America. I swear to There were plants and birds and rocks and turds. <laughs> that's how I always I hear it. I don't think the lyric is turds. I mean, I'll Google it after. Trust me. Look at the lyric. Are you it's sure? turds. <laughs> okay. Pretty sure. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there you go. Verified. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast exclusive. Untitled Beatles Podcast Exclusive. Oh, poop. I love Magic Alex. Um, in fact, I accidentally just voted for him, but I can't do that. We can't do that. He's going up against George Martin, and, you know, you got to vote for George Martin. Hey, uh, Tony, where's Magic Alex from? <laughs> Say it. Say it. Was this Bloodsport? Have <laughs> <laughs> to be. I won't say it. <laughs> okay. Um, Grease. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Casey. Yes. I mean, well, I was just gonna say technically he's from Athens. You could have. We could have gotten around that without having to say the damn word. And then Athens. you would have had to play uh, REM. <laughs> 
God bless the rains down in Athens. TJ, I don't think that's the right lyric either, but if you're sure about it. <laughs> Go I look it up. Plants, I'm birds, rock, turds. It rhymes and it fits. <laughs> there were plants and birds and rocks and turds. Here's the thing. George Martin, it's very difficult for me because I believe he and Billy Preston should be tied for Ultimate Fifth Beatle. That's what it's going to come down to. Mm. George Martin, his influence, we talk about this every time we bring him up. His taste, the way he was able to combine his love of classical comedy, music hall, and still be a slightly older guy who embraced rock and roll because of the Beatles. He was everything you'd want in a record producer. And it's very difficult. It'll be a sad day if he doesn't win the official fifth Beatle in our bracket. Wow. We man. Wow. We, okay. Well, that completes the first round. Wow. That was a mega round, man. So we only have 16 more matchups to go. And uh, 15, technically 15. Thank you, Casey. Thank you. 15 more rounds. I can't wait to see who wins 2022's fifth Beatle of the year <laughs> award and the moment award <laughs> toilet seat, <laughs> the golden toilet seat. <laughs> well, uh, if, if this sounds like it's going to have to be a two parter somewhere in here. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. 